Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blood and Fire Water Podcast. We are a true crime comedy discussion type podcast, so don't be alarmed if you hear a slick joke or two. We keep the victims and their families out of the punchlines and focus more on other people, places, and things about the case. I'm your host, Rashad, and with that squared away, let's just talk about what we're here to talk about the unfortunate and horrific case of Mackenzie Lewis. Mackenzie Lewick was a former student at the University of Utah, and that's where we are for the start of this case. Nice, plain, very religious Utah. Last time we were here was for the hi-fi murder case that we covered in our first season, and it was a mess. If I ever did a case that was a mess. Gunshots, Drano blisters, I won't get into it right now, but if you're really into that kind of stuff, uh, you know, do some digging. It's, it's in our catalog somewhere. But these cases do not correlate. Mackenzie was just on the computer one day, checking out the date and scene, and she meets a guy, an author, nonetheless, of a horrible piece of literature. And little did she know, she was about to write her own story, and I'm here to tell it. On June 17, 2019, the people closest to Mackenzie, their, their spidey senses went off, and she stopped answering text messages, Facebook messages, and Snapchat. Her grandmother had recently passed away, so most took it as a part of her grieving process after the flight back from the funeral in California, which is completely understandable. The last communication from Mackenzie was a text to her mom saying that she had landed and quote unquote love you mama after she arrived at Salt Lake City International Airport at approximately 2 a.m. Mackenzie Lewick was raised in El Segundo, a city inside of Los Angeles, California. She was the second oldest to three brothers. She was very active in high school. And from there, she went to attend the University of Utah, majoring in kinesiology and pre-nursing. So a couple days go by after she was supposed to be back from the funeral in California. Still no word from Mackenzie. Her car hadn't moved, her phone was off, and she had a cat that she loved dearly. There was no way that that cat would go without. So her pops called the cops. Same girl, same. I would do the same thing and that same thing. Greg Lewick was aware that his daughter had not been responding to the family's texts, and that was a red flag. And they knew that she had planned to use an Uber or a Lyft from the airport. So on the 20th of June, he filed a missing persons report. The investigation started where the last place she had been seen, Salt Lake International Airport. Footage of her arriving in Salt Lake using her phone and getting into a Lyft is at the disposal of authorities once they arrive. Inside those days, Mackenzie's friends and family are the street team, getting the word out about the disappearance. Because at this point, all we have to go on is that she got into a lift and she was gone. Mackenzie was 23 at the time. She could smoke, she could vote, she could drink, she could do whatever she wanted. Also disappear if she wanted to. The authorities really didn't have any pep in their step for this case initially because they thought it was something that it obviously wasn't, or we wouldn't be talking about this right now. The police told the family in so many words that Mackenzie had just run off for a bit, that she'd just turn up. And when she does, you'll be glad that we didn't blow this out of proportion. Spoiler alert, th th it should have been blown out of proportion. It took the police about a week before they so much as made the disappearance of Mackenzie Lubick known to the public. But when they did, it kind of turned this investigation on its head because in that same time frame, they also caught up with the Lyft driver as well. 
she actually mentioned said boy this you know um, the conversation something was like well that's strange but she said not as strange as where you're dropping me off is you know in the middle of a park so she actually brought that up and said that it was odd that um, she was being dropped off there so but she thought it was odd you thought it was odd but did, did you say well why are you going to a park at this hour um she basically said that she, uh, she had a friend picking her up there um that's all and i just kind of left it at that when they arrived at hatch park in north salt lake at two in the morning Canada says he pulled up next to the only car there. He grabbed Mackenzie's bag from his trunk and put it in the hatchback of the other car. Did you look inside the car that she was getting into? I, did, I glanced um, and saw like, like some curly hair. That's it, uh, black curly hair um, in the front seat. That, that's, that's all I saw, and I saw her talking to her. And you assumed it was a woman? Yeah. Why? Um, just, it sounded like a woman's voice. So I just faint, like, heard like a faint um, like voice. That's, that's why. And could you understand what she was saying? No. It, were there two people in the car? Just just one. Canada says Mackenzie seemed fine. He watched as she got in the car, then he drove off. I've dropped off people in stranger places, I mean, around town, so it's it just it's something I just I marked it as odd, but didn't really think of it um, that much until the police contacted me. It tore me up because I, you know, I mean, like I said, I was the last person to see her, and I, I was thinking, like, could I have done something different, or is there anything I could have done, you know, but I kept playing it over and over again. It's like, well, you know, I did my job, I did what I was supposed to do, made sure that she was okay, so I, so the Lyft driver didn't take Mackenzie home, but to a park. She didn't seem distressed, but somehow vanished off the face of the earth. Really, really far extremes here. The Lyft driver was questioned and his Lyft phone activity records for that night were obtained. The fact that he picked up another fare right after the Mackenzie Lewick transaction was verified, they took his story as credible. The driver stated that he dropped her off in the park that night at 2.59 a.m., but another car was waiting for her there the Lyft driver didn't see who she met or make out what kind of car it was. So, with no way forward, police have no choice but to go backwards and find out what kind of stuff Mackenzie was into, see if there's any skeletons in her closet, basically. Her friend said that she was shy, but putting herself out there to shed her religious cloak that she wore for so long and find her own way. And apparently that led up to and including meeting people in parks at 3 a.m. Then a strike of true crime luck happens. Former police officer turned private investigator Rob Joseph recognizes the pictures that had been plastered all over town. He comes forward and tells investigators that he'd met Mackenzie downtown one night three weeks ago. They struck up a conversation and somehow her profile on a website called Seeking Arrangements comes up. Now this site is tailored specifically for all of your sugar daddy needs. Are you a sugar baby? Do you need a sugar daddy? Well, there you go. That, that, that's about it. Whatever floats your boat. Her profile at the time was active, and once police searched through it, of course they hit a link back to her Facebook where they found messages, which would make you think that this was not her first rodeo into the sugar baby game. Also, there's a sugar baby game. The investigation keeps chugging along and police get Mackenzie's phone records, then they see that the last person that Mackenzie spoke to was a guy named AJ, short for Ayula Ajahi doesn't mean anything though there's a lot of people that she talked to you know on her phone doesn't make him responsible because he was the last person also it makes him kind of responsible but he may know something because get this somebody had Mackenzie's phone and for the first time in a week somebody went on her Instagram and followed an account called fatherless and her phone pinged from an area near Ayula Ajayi's house now, do I have to say the police went directly to his house and started asking them questions while they were waiting for a warrant? All right, I just won't say it. Roll the body cam. 
give me the search warrant. I authorized it before. Nice. And then when they said the search warrant, can I borrow your phone then to call my lawyer? I'm going to give you her phone number right now. Do you remember her name? Susanna. So who is AJ slash Ayula Ajahi? 
At the time, he was a 32-year-old native of Nigeria who had briefly been a model, served in the Utah Army National Guard, and was now an IT specialist for the U.S. Army and a student of the University of Utah. Among his many talents, he was also a writer of one book, a not-so-successful book or good book that was titled Forged Identity. In the Amazon's book summary, it describes a person burning, not for desire, not for passion, just burning. The summary starts off with, quote, Ezekiel was almost 15 when he witnessed a gruesome murder. An angry mob burned his neighbor alive in the street, and the man died at his feet. Sadly, it was not the last time he witnessed such horror. A loved one was killed in the same brutal, terrifying way, 50 feet from him, and he couldn't do nothing to stop it. The passage goes on to say the protagonist must recover from these severe traumas, but finds joy in love and becoming embroiled in grand theft. I, you know, I bet you just can't wait to get your hands on a copy. Neither can I. Unfortunately, or fortunately, the book is unavailable. Bruh. After complications with his visa arose and allegations that he stole someone's iPad, he was banned from the University of Utah campus and he did not attain his degree. He had been previously married. Technically, he was still married, but she left him due to his criminal domestic violence. I can't explain this, but he was like real aggressive, real, real aggressive, because he wanted me to move to Utah to be with him, and I told him no. I jumped through the window and he had a bushy knife and trying to stab me with the knife and I ended up cutting my hand. AJ was living in Salt Lake City and his house was listed on Airbnb. He had a mother-in-law suite underneath his house. What he also had were cameras all over his house. Bathrooms, bedrooms. I'm not sure Airbnb was cool with this. Something else that Airbnb probably wouldn't be cool with is that a couple months before the disappearance, AJ spoke with a contractor about installing a secret underground room in his house, one that was relatively soundproof and had biometric fingerprint scanning technology. He claimed that he had a Mormon partner and didn't want to tempt them with the alcohol that he kept in the house. He listened to really loud music when he drank to each his own. I don't you know. It could have been, it could have been legit, I, but you know what he did. <laughs> Either way, the contractor noted the idea when AJ brought up the idea of hooks that he wanted installed first thing when they broke ground. Cops detained AJ as a person of interest as police go through the house and decided that it was worth searching the backyard as well. Camera's on, what you got? The next day, AJ was released, then immediately arrested. KSLTV was on the scene as this unfolded and captured this exclusive video. You can see officers in tactical gear gathering on the side of the building, weapons drawn. Murder suspect Ayula Ajayi is then seen slowly walking toward the officers with his hands raised, one hand holding a cell phone to his ear. 
As he reaches the officers, the 31-year-old hands over the phone. The SWAT team members lower their guns and place the Jai in handcuffs. Officers then enter the building. Minutes later, they return and transfer a Jai across the street to the back seat of a police car. Later this afternoon, crime scene vehicles showed up and entered the building with bags and cameras. This all happened very quickly, really less than a half hour. After an exhaustive week of investigation, we are filing charges of aggravated murder, aggravated kidnapping, obstruction of justice, and desecration of a body in the homicide of Mackenzie Lewick. The man charged with these horrific and tragic crimes is the person of interest. Ayola Odyssey Achaya. Turns out they found something in a makeshift fire pit. Something like an ID. That belonged to Mackenzie Lewick. And her clothes. And some other belongings that belonging to her. Neighbors came forward and said that AJ had lit a big fire in his backyard and they told him to put it out on the night of the 17th and the 18th. Yeah, he tried to, he tried lighting this gigantic fire of scrap wood in his backyard from his account. He drove to a local gas station, purchased a gas can and gas, and allegedly set a body on fire in his backyard, but the neighbors just kept pestering him to put it out. The police were tapped into AJ's entire life. The house was searched, bank accounts, cell phone records, computer hard drives, but they still didn't have Mackenzie's body. That is until all of that information started coming back from AJ's devices. According to AJ's phone records, a week after Mackenzie's disappearance, his phone put him in a place called Logan's Canyon, north of Salt Lake City, for two hours. After investigators followed the pings, they discovered the body of Mackenzie Lewick. She was put into a shallow grave in a wooded area with her arms bound behind her back, with zip tie and a rope. It was determined that the cause of death was due to blunt force trauma after a hole was found in her skull and a piece of her scalp was missing. Either you didn't have a conversation with her or you did. We know you did. We know that you had a conversation continuing. We know that your phone takes you up in the exact same area as she was dropped off. Coincidence? Nope. Facts? Are you saying you don't know or you don't remember? Because those are two different 
the entire time. He had already turned the creepy cameras on in his house. All the prep work had been done. Terrible planning, by the way. Just want to go ahead and let you know you shouldn't, you shouldn't make your own evidence. AJ would be charged with kidnapping two counts of a sexual assault on two other women not involved with this case. Also, 19 counts of sexual exploitation of a minor. Remember those seized computer devices and hard drives and all that right there? Well, they found some shit. And as far as the Lewitt case goes, AJ pled guilty to first-degree aggravated murder and third-degree desecration of a human body. He was sentenced to life without parole in October of 2020. When asked why he did it, he said he just wanted to know what it felt like. A nonprofit was set up in honor of McKenzie called McKenzie's Voice, helping others figure out what to do when loved ones go missing is the motivation behind McKenzie's Voice, which is extremely helpful. You know, you just, you know, shoot that into Google and you'll, you'll figure it out. I get like a little pamphlet or something like that. But either way, that was Blood and Fire Water this week. I've been your host, Rashad. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. Check out our socials if you get bored. Instagram, Blood and Fire Water Podcast. TikTok, BFW Crime Store. Twitter, BFW Podcast. And our YouTube channel. Check out our YouTube channel. We just dropped a video today. Most videos will go, you know, in a in a backwards order. So, like, the video for this case will be out next week. And so on and so forth. I'm trying to get caught up to where I can put videos up first on Patreon. That way you get the episodes first before everybody with a video. And I might start inserting myself into those like once I get a better camera. I don't know. But thank you for listening. Stay alert. Stay alive.